Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Martin. Hi, I'm Lars, and we're Dan Swindle. And you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. Perfect. Fox nailed it. Okay, thanks for your time. See you later. <laughs> House Culture Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast hosted as ever by me, the Managing Editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. First off, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning into this show today. It really means a lot to us all at House Culture that you're dedicating the next hour or so of your listening time to this content we lovingly put together just for you. However, if this is your first time here, I'd like to pull back that velvet rope and welcome you to House Culture. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is our spiritual home, so if you don't already, follow us over there at House Culture Net to get connected to over 100,000 party people from this here planet Earth. And you or old listeners, please don't forget to get stuck into the other episodes we've released in this series. We've been heavy on the D's in this season four, so we've featured chats with progressive house titan Dave Seaman, house music's number one vocalist and songwriter Dwayne Harden, drum and bass legend Darren Jay, and legendary Shelley's regular Dave Ralph. If you want to continue that theme, you can go even further back and listen to our conversations with Dawn Hindle, David Morales, Dave Ralph, or even the Dannys, Clockwork, Rampling, or Tanaglia. It's up to you. Now in this episode, we're adding to those Ds as we sit down with a duo from Amsterdam who've lit up the scene over the past few years with their essential EPs, eclectic DJ sets, and iconic record label. Individually, they are Lars and Martin, but together they are Damn Swindle. In this chat, you'll hear how Lars got his first taste of dance music. I remember walking into Melkweg, and this was a HQ hard house party, and I literally lost my mind. The music was just insane, and I was hooked right there and then. You'll hear Martin tell us why they started producing music as a duo. One of the reasons that we started getting into the studio together was that we were both a bit disappointed in Amsterdam nightlife at the time, but it did fuel our energy to create it ourselves. 
the ups and downs of playing your own material in a club environment. Making your own music and then playing it out for a crowd that reacts in a way that you're hoping they would react is something very special. It's also the high you get from the reaction of a crowd when the track really works well or where you're like they're on the right path. The low is like equally low when you feel like you've overmixed the kick and then you yeah. just wanna like mix out the record after a minute because you just feel so bad. And how they work together as a team in the studio. Back in the day, we even used to have fights about this because we both had such a specific creative idea behind it. But that friction also makes the art better. I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's annoying, but it's also a part of the. It's part of the process. I hope you enjoy this one. This is Dam Swindle. House Culture. Hi, Lars and Martin. It's great to have you join us on the House Culture podcast today. Thanks so much for taking the time to do so. You are Dam Swindle, a duo famed for your eclectic taste in music, heads of a label that always delivers class and quality, and you've also released many tracks that are considered classics amongst the house music community. However, we always want to start at the beginning and understand how you guys got to where you are today. Now, it can be either Lars or Martin. I don't know who goes first, but can you tell us where you grew up and how you first discovered house music? Okay, I'll start. Um, hello, first of all. I grew up in uh, in Amsterdam. I've lived here all my life, uh, 40 years now. I know I don't show it. Thank you. <laughs> this um, is a podcast, Lars. No oh, yeah, nobody sees it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, I used to be really into hip-hop when I was younger. And I bought record players with my best friend and uh, downstairs neighbor, uh, Flawless. And we started DJing uh, hip hop records sitting down because we thought that was the easiest way to do it. And then we saw on MTV that you should be standing up. So we, we put it on the table. <laughs> and then his half brother, after a school party, uh, said where I DJed actually when I was like, 14 or 15 mm-hmm. he said hey listen i'm gonna go to this party at melkweg in amsterdam i think you would really like it and i was like well okay i'll just go with you when we went on this little scooter to melkweg and just before going in he said well if we're gonna go in i think you should uh, everybody takes these little uh these little pellets here and i was like okay <laughs> you know <laughs> Whatever, I'll 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 do that. And I remember walking into Melkweg, and this was a HQ Hard House party mm-hmm. with DJs Tom Harding and JP. And I literally lost my mind. I I I was like, what the hell am I seeing? Uh-huh. What the hell am I experiencing? How are all these people so cool and happy and beautiful? And the music was just insane. And I was hooked right there and then. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was hooked into the nightlife and hooked into the music and t- into the culture. And I basically spent the the next seven years rave as a raver. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I, I would do my school stuff and I would do all my chores at the house. I wasn't really a, how do you say? A, Studious. No? no, yeah, I was okay, but I, I was an easy kid, you know, also for my mom and I was helpful, but in the weekends I would just lose my shit and go to where, any rave 
I could find, I went to even to uh, to Berlin, to the Love Parade when mm-hmm. it was still there mm-hmm. and all these things. And I'm really thankful that I, I, I experienced that. So that's, that's my start with house music and then with a lot of like back and forth to hip hop again and soul and funk. And then I rediscovered house through a friend of mine again in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. and never looked back brilliant and you know uh it's interesting that you had that kind of hip-hop experience to begin with and i'm sure we can kind of kind of talk about about some of that as well so but before we do that martin what was your uh your entrance into the house music scene <laughs> it's funny because it's very typical for me that my entrance into the house scene was way later and much more of a business thing that, rather than that experiencing it as a raver mm-hmm. I used to be in bands like I, I played drums and we did punk and like surf rock, stuff like that. And that was my my high school fun. And then during my my student years, basically, I spent my time getting experience from lots of different work related things. I was just into like I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn everything. Mm-hmm. And then I got into DJing through a friend and we started buying records together. And I was like, fuck, I want to learn this as well. This is great. But I didn't go to any parties. Like I had some friends that would listen to these like two early two thousands Chiesto CDs. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, it's you know, whatever. I see that you like it, great. It wasn't really my thing, but um, I could get it. I could get the appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just didn't get the uh, the whole like waiting in line and queuing up and like getting geared up for a night worth of not sleeping because basically my days my days were like getting up early doing sports and just working the hell out of everything (laughs) (laughs) so uh and then through work i got introduced to an israeli guy who lived in amsterdam who was famous in the gay scene running electro parties Mm -hmm. and we had a really good connection like from a on a business level because he was I remember his voicemail. His name is Roy Avney. He died of cancer, unfortunately, uh, quite a long time ago already. But his, his voicemail was, hi, this is Roy. I'm not here right now. I'm either on the motorbike or in the gym. And this is actually true. I don't think he ever slept. He was just either on his way to a meeting or to a party or he was working out in the gym. He was like super buff, but the sweetest guy ever. And he had no clue of anything like business wise Mm -hmm. from the dance scene or from doing parties, but he had this immaculate vision of what he wanted to bring to the Amsterdam crowd and to people. So he had these artists that he just felt like he needed to promote them. Like these people need a stage. Mm -hmm. He was the complete opposite from me. Like he was so tapped in and engaged with that, that feeling and I, I really liked that. I was like, yeah, man, let's let's do this together. Let's spend time. So I started doing like the business thing for him and making sure that uh, we sorted everything out. But after years of working with him, his enthusiasm really, yeah, really got to me. Mm-hmm. So I started like feeling the same and hearing that music that he was doing like Doppler effect shows. And he shared me uh, like all these weird uh, niche electro acts that nobody ever books because they're just to i don't know what it is left field highbrow weird Mm -hmm. intelligent however you want to call it i mean people there will be like 50 people buying a ticket for a 600 capacity club so he would lose all of his money (laughs) and still walk around being happy as as he can be because he was like look what we made possible (laughs) 
and so his his enthusiasm i that that really um yeah i i kind of took that from him mm-hmm. and then we started doing like techno nights in the same club where Lars was doing a hip hop night. Mm-hmm. Lars and me met up and I started uh, playing some uh, some music in like bars and clubs and stuff. And that's kind of how we how I gradually rolled into the creator side of um, the dance music. Yeah. Yeah. And so you talk about that first meeting and you mentioned Lars was playing like hip hop or whatever. Lars, Lars, just take us through like at that stage, were you very much into that was your sound and that was your what you were DJing and kind of how did you guys have a meeting of minds and think, okay, let's make something with each other? Well, it's it's quite a long story, but <laughs> the short version is that I used to have a different business partner and we used to program a couple of locations in Amsterdam. And we had this group of people that would DJ next to us. We would DJ ourselves as well, but also some other people that we asked like, hey, do you want to... DJ at these places that we can arrange this for you and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those uh, people was Ruben. And Ruben was back then Martin's sp- business partner. And they would work in a sort of an ad agency and also both DJ on the side sometimes. So Martin would sometimes sub for Ruben. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Martin was just a regular in our club of people and we would program him uh mostly at a gay bar in amsterdam and at one point the owner was like yeah this guy is super nice and the guys the 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 crowd seems to like it but i want different kind of music in my bar (laughs) so i would have to i would have a conversation with martha like hey listen this is the case, you know, your music is awesome, but you know, they want something different. And he was like, well, then I don't want to do it anymore. And I, and I thought it was so cool. It's like, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. That this was <laughs> music. And so back then I was already making some tracks at home mm-hmm. on my little laptop back then with first, I don't know, Ableton four or five, whatever, like, or even, even earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, why don't you come by my house and we'll have a beer and I'll show you what I'm working on. Because I think, you know, if you you, pro- you have good music taste, maybe you can just listen to it. And then we did that. And that was very fruitful. And Marta, he didn't know anything about making music back then, but he had some really good pointers. And we felt like, hey, this is, this is something that could work. And um, that was basically the start of a weekly Wednesday night fueled with Heineken's and playing some video games and making tunes together. <laughs> As anything yeah. in Amsterdam is fueled by Heineken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um what 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 kind of music were you putting together initially? Was it you know, what kind of influences were you bringing into that? I mean, Martin, you mentioned well, like punk rock, surfer rock and things like that. Were you bringing that influence into this kind of sound or? No, not really. I just, I remember when, when Lars showed me that pro- those projects it was like, yeah, this sounds cool. But I, it was just like swing things or just like sample chops that were like, yeah, this, there, this needs something else. Mm-hmm. And this was just, Lars was really open as well. So we were just basically 
you know, messing around in Ableton uh, and moving around samples and seeing whether this is the right clap and whether we would need like another hi-hat vibe or it was really um, organic the way that this came together. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, all of these musical influences played a role in where we were at the time. And I, I back home, uh, my, my dad used to listen to like, everything Motown related like mm -hmm. he would play Otis Redding uh, Marvin Gaye and stuff like that and uh that was the that part of the stuff that he played I really liked apart from like he also did like level 42 great bass player not really my mm -hmm. music stuff and he played <laughs> Toto uh and I hated that and he played it a lot <laughs> but like all the Motown stuff I loved Mm -hmm. And um, there was really because the first like the first tracks we worked on were uh, was actually turned out to be the wraparound EP that we released mm -hmm. later on. So that was really Motown influenced. So I had this immediate connection with uh, with the songs uh, like, yeah, this is this is my vibe. And I it's also that one of the reasons that we started getting into the studio together was that we were both a bit disappointed in Amsterdam nightlife at the time because mm -hmm. it was really minimal techno and techie oriented so there was we felt like there was zero soul in yeah. music at, well, like popular music at that time i'm sure it was there but we just we couldn't find it mm -hmm. and we were really looking for that warmth and kind of an upbeat feel in electronic music that we just didn't see like it wasn't getting played in the clubs we didn't have any background to know that, oh, then you have to go to this and this club because they, they play that or you have to just, you know, buy uh, the recent Moody Man album or whatever, you know. So we, we were super blunt uh, in our judgment on the, the Amsterdam nightlife. And but it did it did fuel our energy to create it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's a punk rock spirit, right? That is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what kind of came first that well i mean you're producing stuff in the studio did then you think you could go out there and perform as a duo as a dj duo or was it the production stuff that was coming first how did that kind of seep into your into your lives well lars was doing events so we the we just he basically booked us <laughs> to do that warm-up set so that was easy <laughs> no. but there's so that, that, that's kind of true though yeah it is true <laughs> so we weren't really part of any crew mm -hmm. like we created we created kind of our own space uh which i feel was really powerful but was also a challenge because there's you know if you're part of the rush hour crew you have this this giant platform to get launched upon when you're good enough mm -hmm. and and we basically did everything ourselves releasing our own music like with a couple of labels that were not connected to anything that was happening in net in the Netherlands at the time. So by the time we had like four or five releases, people in Holland that were doing parties were still completely oblivious of, of who we actually were. Mm -hmm. So production came first with us, mm -hmm. like with our popularity as well. We started gigging outside of the Netherlands first, like in, in the UK, Germany, mm -hmm. France, and the and Holland came came way later. Like it, it took a really a long time for like for the Netherlands to pick up what we were doing. Mm. Also, I would say that the sound that that really hit 
for us in the beginning was something that was popular in the UK and Germany at the time and not so much in Holland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that that also I think our notoriety in the UK really kickstarted our fame or our claim to fame. And uh, in Holland, it was just way more like that minimal, more techy sound still. Uh, that early 2000s tech house slash minimal sound. Yeah. So we were playing a lot of, in Germany and in the UK in the beginning mm-hmm. and really made a name for ourselves there. Not so much in Holland yet. Did um, So when you're playing out and you're playing, you know, booking yourselves, were you playing your own things? And, you know, was that exciting for you? Were you getting the reactions that you felt like you should be getting when you're putting those things together in the well, studio? Yeah, of course, of course. That's, I mean, that's still something that, that's really great mm-hmm. like it's it's something that we really enjoy doing and making your own music is something so special and then playing it out for a crowd that reacts in a way that you're hoping they would react is is something very special but i was always making i've been making way before that for already i would say 10 years i would be dabbling and making edits and i even did like those those Baltimore kind of breakbeat edits of famous uh, ha- uh, hip hop tracks or disco tracks, and and I did some some disco edits as well. So mm-hmm. I was I was kind of used to playing those out, but this felt as something different though because this was so uniquely us. Yeah, and way more original as well. And way more original, yeah. Mm-hmm. We so, get some samples in, but. I mean, it's it's very much an original production already in the beginning. I, it's also the 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 high you get from the the reaction of a crowd when a um, when a track really works well or where you like you know where you feel like you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. The low is like equally low when you feel like you've overmixed the kick or when there's the drop that's just way too long or that hi hat is just piercing through your eardrum you're like oh man we messed up this mix so badly and then you just yeah. wanna, like mix out the record after a minute because you just feel so bad fun fact people people in, thought in the beginning that we would that we were like these super old school vintage hardware style producers mm-hmm. while we were just making it on a laptop, but we just didn't know how to properly mix it. So it just sounded very shit in a, in, in a way good. So so people thought we were already like on the scene for a long time and just now popping up. And well, That's so cool, right? I mean, like sometimes when you're putting it through and you're just creating it digitally, it can sound so crisp and so clear and so clean. Um, that you need some of that, you know, that that earthiness in there every now and yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that I teach my students as well, and I I take myself as an example. Like I I, I told you just before the interview that I, I I teach at the conservatory now, and I really I I literally tell them this story. Like people thought we were these very, you know, what the story that I just told you. And and they always they always listen in amazement because their productions they sound incredibly well mixed, mm-hmm. like insanely well mixed. But because of that, sometimes it lacks a little bit of identity. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, that's something that also stuck with us. Like we sometimes 
intentionally leave some messy parts in our tracks just to have yeah that sort of consistency in our and vibe in our sound yeah 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 and uh, you know this how house music first actually started it was just people just messing around with things and just putting things onto vinyl and they weren't necessarily clean and you can listen back to some of the older stuff and you know there is a bit of swing to it and there is a bit of uh you know hard edits here and there and things claps that can pierce you and things like that it's that's what makes it so interesting exciting i mean so when you're in the studio What's your kind of flow between each other? Um, does anyone look after something individually? Um, you know, and how do you kind of manage your your disagreements? Is it a democratic process or? <laughs> well, uh... actually, yesterday we had yesterday we had kind of an interesting situation that happens a lot. I'll 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 tell the short story and then Marta can uh, chime in. Um, no, I'll so... tell a completely different story for all. <laughs> We, uh, we're making tracks for our Keep on Swindling uh, EPs for this year, for the 10-year anniversary, and we just finished one EP. And for example, some one of us starts like a concept and the other one, you know, works on it for a while. And then we sort of switch back and forth and then we work together in studio edit. And it, it's never a set way that we do it because also time, our time, our schedules are, yeah, are a bit chaotic sometimes with mm-hmm. all the touring and family and schoolwork uh, but this time Marta worked quite long on one specific project and really had you know a specific idea and then I felt like hey I want to change a couple little things because I feel like it's a good idea but maybe we can add or subtract some bits here and there and, and yesterday I showed him for the first time and then <laughs> I saw Marta's face going like, hmm, okay, 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 okay. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Back in the day, we even used to have fights about this because we both had such a specific creative idea behind it. But over the years, you really get to know how to work together. And, mm-hmm. and you know, now we have a bit more of uh, uh, patience and then like, okay, I know this is not what I had in mind, but... I also kind of feel that I should give him that leeway. And then after a while, it it, it will grow on you and it mm-hmm. will end up a better track, always. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the power that we have together. And I think that goes for everything, like our, our personalities, but also our DJ sets, but specifically the studio, you know, that friction also makes makes the art better. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's annoying, but it's also a part of the it's part of the process. And sometimes I think we've we've grown, we've gotten better at this as well because there would be like the arguments would be way heavier a couple of years back where we just say no, man, go away. Don't touch this. This is good as it is. You need you don't need to change it. It's not getting better. It's just getting different. I, I guess the, the past few years has also uh, given us the time to kind of reflect how we were approaching our work and how we were approaching our partnership. I think that with that experience and with the age also comes more nuance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we give each other the time to, to, to show the ideas that we have. And I mean, it's a shared product. It's something we make together. So we, there's, there's always going to be an EP where there's more of, Lars identity in it or more of mine and it's totally fine just a matter of over the whole 
course of a couple of releases, you want to make sure that, you know, where we feel like it's really us. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think we've gotten really good at that. I also think that there's, there's, there's definitely a difference between these kind of projects that start individually or where we have just like a really basic sketch and then we jam in the studio. Mm -hmm. I think body control, the new is a really good example of how we, how Lars made a really funky like sketch and we start, we just fired up the machines in the studio. And I think within an hour we had the whole track laid out. And just because of just messing around on the keys a little bit, recording some stabs, rearranging them, and then the track was there and it was, it, it came so natural. Like there was zero discussion. There was only like, Hey, I like this. Let's add this. Let's add that. And then we recorded like a little ARP and the track was done. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that flow in the studio, so natural and, you know, you've got that mature approach that's, um, you know, you recognize what each one brings to the, to the party, you know, if you're um, making something individually or, you know, just jamming and things are coming together really, really quickly. Um, and sometimes those are the best things, right? I mean, in terms of you guys DJing together, you're obviously a duo behind the decks. Um, what are the rules of engagement between yourselves there? Well, it's a bit it's a bit similar. Um, we started off DJing uh, one track and one track each, but we felt like that was a bit too short because sometimes you need a while before you sort of get in tune in in, in, in the set, and then if you constantly doing only one track you can't really set a certain mood yeah so then we decided to do two tracks each mm-hmm. which makes it a bit more uh solid in a way because then if one sets a certain mood then the other one can really pick up on that and sort of or decides not to that's still a thing mm-hmm. um but yeah that's uh we we talk a lot um about like hey what are we going to play next where do we want to go like okay we have three hours what's what's the crowd like what's mm-hmm. the party like what's the dj be- behind us you know we we discuss this a lot and sometimes we completely don't we just rock up to a venue and then put on the first record and then suddenly it's two hours later and we haven't spoken one word and said everything through records mm-hmm. so you know it depends on the vibe it depends on the moment as well yeah. So I wouldn't say there's like a certain, like certain way to do it, but we do, we do talk a lot about, uh, yeah, uh, the vibe and 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 how we're gonna do it, and also before the gig, we really talk through the gig, like, hey, what kind of venue are we playing? What kind of people are there? Which other DJs are there? Mm-hmm. So we can sort of focus a bit on what we think we should be playing. Mm-hmm within the context of what we play because we play quite uh eclectically mm-hmm. so we can go so many ways basically so sometimes yeah sometimes you really want to narrow it down for yourself as well a little bit mm-hmm. and so do you you know you play you mentioned eclecticism you know you guys play across all of those different genres it could be you know house a bit of techno uh, some disco some old school you know across everything it can be a real education listening to one of your sets which is great and like as a as someone on the dance floor that sense of not necessarily knowing what's coming next is so exciting do you have a um you know do you have 
like a favorite genre that sometimes you maybe want to steer one of them down towards or is it just mainly feeding off the vibe in the club no well i mean there's there's favorite genres and there's like tracks that you just discovered or new releases that you that you have that you really want to play out mm-hmm. but we i think over time we've also learned to kind of if you, if you can't play this party it'll be a next party mm-hmm. and there are certain special tracks that really have this moment on a dance floor and you keep them to to the parties where you you know or where you feel like they are gonna have the effect and have the interaction that you want them to have rather than kind of just falling out of the like out of a clear sky and just basically not doing anything which is kind of a shame it feels like a waste of a mo- waste of moment mm-hmm. and it's also i think it's also a a a thing of like the current time asks for different music than what then I'd say what we would do two or three years ago just before COVID. Mm-hmm. The tendency has gone to way harder and faster music, mm-hmm. more techy. Mm-hmm. Uh and we, you know, we find our way in that. There's there's plenty of stuff that we like that's like 135 BPM though. So we can do you know we can do that. Even though like when we started we would like it would be two or three AM if we do an all nighter and we might still be on one sixteen or one seventeen BPM playing like Italo and um uh you know funk stuff like that so and it's okay that there's less space for that right now you know we you we find the right gigs for it mm-hmm. um and that eclecticism is something we can you know we can do in many ways because you can go from 135 bpm acid and straight into disco yeah. which is great like i love these these clash of style these clashes of styles and sometimes they work out really well and sometimes you completely blow it and then you need to fix it again in the next two tracks but then that's up to Lars so that's totally fine for me. <laughs> it's funny but it's true um but are there ever any moments that you say you talk a lot between each other which is really good to have that communication are, are there ever any moments where you're like I've got this track in my back pocket and you know I want to I want to surprise the other one with this or or take it this oh, way oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do that as well you're like and then yeah what was it the other the other day Lars Lars picked up this old DJ Gregory track um and he was like don't look at the title don't look at the title i'm gonna play it and you're gonna you're gonna love it and he played it i was like oh i haven't heard this track in so long man Mm -hmm. this is so much fun and sometimes you'll be like i'm not going to show you what i'm playing because you might comment and then you might not feel like it's a good idea but i just feel like it's it has to happen right now and then we'll see if it's a good if it's a good (laughs) idea afterwards (laughs) yeah you go out for a drink and i'll try this now (laughs) and when you're when you're djing together i mean is there what equipment have you got to have with you in the booth do you do you have a particular mixer is it vinyl cdjs you know where do you stand on all of that um yeah we have our own mixer we we've had uh condessa carmen for a while um and before that we had the condessa lucia Mm -hmm um and the carmen is a four channel rotary four mixer channel. yeah with the warmest sound you'll ever you'll ever find mm-hmm. in a mixer in, uh, in our humble opinion it's probably the best sounding rotary mixer at least portable rotary mixer out there mm-hmm. and you cannot you can literally not fuck the sound up with this mixer like you cannot even if you i don't know just put everything on 10 Mm-hmm. It still it sounds great, and uh, I feel that that's that's quite a difference from so, some uh, other uh, rotary mixers out there. 
where I've heard DJs literally rape some sound systems on. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that we always take. Uh, we have uh, very specific uh, vinyl weights that have a weighted 45 insert inside, mm -hmm. which is the only one we've ever seen made that way. Mm -hmm. It's made by a, I think like a furniture maker, no, or a yeah. bag, something. No, you, no, US design company decided to go into this one little niche uh <laughs> for the record weight uh adventure mm -hmm. uh which we were really happy with uh yeah so we so we have uh record play we have two record players two cjs our own mixer we used to bring an effects pedal as well because mm -hmm. the mixer has send and receive and then yeah, so we brought the space the the, the the space echo pedal which was really nice yeah. um i'm not sure Although why we don't anymore oh, it's broken. well i i do no, know <laughs> <laughs> because what well, i i remember one time we were playing at party so in amsterdam and at one point oh yeah <laughs> at one point we were djing and then we had like this beautiful break piano breakdown and then the the fire alarm went off in party so like so loud that like we stopped the music and we're like man we have to fix this first before we can play and it took so long and then at one moment <laughs> we figured out it was not a fire alarm it was literally our space echo just <laughs> looping in on itself like <laughs> oh my god we didn't dare tell the organizers that it was us because uh. we, we were we were so we were kind of annoyed at the venue, like mm -hmm. they, and there were literally like a thousand people standing there waiting for the fire alarm to go off. And then in the end, it was just our space echo pedal. So you stopped the music and it was still going? Yeah. Because the, the, we just you stopped, like place? we we took the, we just turned the music off, but the space echo has its own channel and it was just on and <laughs> we weren't really, you know, it's, we know that it can feedback loop into mm -hmm. itself but this type of sound was not from like we weren't familiar with it, <laughs> like mimicking a fucking fire alarm but we're we should we should take it again though it's it's a fun yeah. it's a really fun fun tool to use especially when you're playing like disco stuff and you can make really make cool transitions with it and sort of build ups and breakdowns and yeah, yeah. it's a really fun thing fun but play it, with. but yeah, yeah so that's that's our basic setup and then uh Martin we always bring our own we bring our own slip mats mm -hmm. yeah that's true because they're they're nice and thick and soft cushions for our precious records <laughs> which i which i lars at some point uh kind of he the uh the amount of effort it took to bring records uh didn't really weigh up to the uh the fun anymore <laughs> uh, i think at some point lars realized he was basically bringing a bag full of records for me to play so, <laughs> Well, I still bring, I bring I bring records and then Lars maybe brings like ten or fifteen uh, along with the mixer and then we uh, we have a shared bag of uh, fun stuff to play. Cool. And um, you know you've also done a lot of um, remix work as well. And I you know I'm thinking of in um, last year you um, did some work with Soul Soul, yeah, yeah, and remixed. You know it was Every Man, Double Exposure, you know Let No Man Put Asunder, First Choice, and and some others as well. I mean, like those are absolute classics that everyone is like familiar with. 
Um, yeah. How did that come about? Uh, was that a dream job? Was it a nightmare because you were taking on a classic? Was it scary? You know, just take us through the, the background on those. It was everything you're just mentioning. Like, <laughs> yeah. We were like, I remember it when we, when we got into the conversation with Salsol. And uh, so we all liked the idea of doing like a full re- a remix EP. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they sent over this Excel sheet. It was like, yeah, here's our, here's the tracks you can choose from, from our catalog. And I think it took us three or four weeks to go through like the the full Excel sheet because it's the complete Salsol discography. And we're like, yeah, there's no way we can choose from this. So mm-hmm. we had like at some point we made this long list, then a short list, and then we got to the discussion on are we actually gonna like do any of the classics that you know uh, Larry Levan has done and uh we uh, it took us a while to get used to the idea of doing something like that Mm -hmm. then it took us another while to 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 decide whether we had something new to offer to Mm -hmm. the like to the original recording and the available remixes so we we extensively especially especially for let no man because i think every man is still a lot of people know it but it's it hasn't been that remixed that much as Mm -hmm. as no man um so we you know we we listen to all, all the old recordings and the, the million different versions there are and then at some point we did feel confident like there there was still a story to be told that that had our name on it and had like felt like our like modern day disco house slash disco interpretation of the uh of the track mm-hmm. and they were like okay let's just we're gonna do it we can always say it's not going to work out. We'll we'll do something else. But we, uh, yeah. After you know, giving it some thought, we felt confident that we could make something really nice. And we decided to uh, record a lot of new material. So with new light, new bass player, and new keys, mm-hmm. switching up the arrangement quite a bit. And beef, obviously, we beefed up the percussion a bit to make it you know, uh, more welcoming for modern day sound systems. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the track turned out the way it did and it got some really good, uh, yeah, it was received really well. Mm -hmm. And we don't play it a lot. There's one comment on the, on the, on the YouTube video that I really, really like. And that's one guy, he says that he expected it to be because there's so many versions out there. Literally, he said Mm -hmm. that, that he expected this one to not be an addition to them and he was pleasantly surprised that it was that i think in one comment sums it up for me mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure we'll have to see if it stands the test of time but uh, i'm uh, i'm pretty sure that you know it will remain playable for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice because it's, it has a different energy i mean mm-hmm. there's there's like the, the more clubbier versions and this is actually quite easy to listen to and has this warm warm vibe that's really that really feels authentic to us mm-hmm. um but yeah it was a long process uh, but we you know when we said yes to salsa we said this is going to take a while because we were we want to really make sure that we like we're not limited by time the only yeah. limitation we want to have is you know our own creativity basically so we took the time to find the right people to record with and to let the mix sit in and let their arrangements sit in and uh, yeah, we're we're happy that we've we've taken that time that we've given it the attention it deserves because it is it 
it is a massive project. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, you know, paying that reverence to something that is so iconic in, in you know, in that scene is so well known as well. To take that and update it is, you know, it sounds like you've really, um, really paid all the, all the time and dues you needed to do it. Um... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To go from one iconic label to another one, I want to talk about Heist. (laughs) And, you know... You guys started this up in 2013. Um, I mean, you know, it's super successful. It the the label looks as good as it sounds. Um, I mean, why did you start the label up, and you know, why is, was it so important for it to not only sound great and have brilliant releases on it, but also to to look really um, to look really cool as well in terms of the graphic design and all of those things just being one part of the project. It was it was always a dream of mine to have my own label for some reason. I can't really t- give you an explanation why, but I just really liked the idea of also being in control of your own stuff, but also being able to release other artists. But with everything I always want, I never think about how much work it actually is. Uh, <laughs> so true. So, so in the end, Marta always takes the, the bigger chunk of the work. And I'm just the sort of uh, floaty creative guy that thinks of all the all the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we 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 started it uh, also because our uh, friend Peter from Dirt Crew he could get us a really good deal at Word and Sound, which is still our distribu- distributor. And they were so enthusiastic and they were so helpful. And they they immediately said, well, this is your deal. Let's let's do it. We'll take out, we'll take anything off your hands. The only thing you have to do is 
artwork and A and R, which is not entirely true because we still have to do a lot of other stuff. Obviously, because there's a lot of promo involved and a lot of like administrative administrative stuff. Mm-hmm. But Peter, uh, who still works for us, helped us a lot with this. Mm-hmm. And it also it for us like we discussed it, and it's like a lot of labels out there although they look very good on the outside they are just run by enthusiastic people but they don't have any idea how to run a label mm-hmm. uh, luckily the most of the labels that we released on are very professional but there are also are always some like a bit more cowboy labels and we felt like Specifically because I I was a promoter for such a long time and Mart already was working at the ad agency and we already started quite late as Dam Swindle, mm-hmm. the former Detroit Swindle, mm-hmm. that we felt like hey we we could really make this work you know we have we are business savvy we know we know the game we know what we want we have a very clear idea of of what we wanna uh, what we wanna push. And also we felt like there's a lot of artists like us out there that are really trying to push a sound that we really believe in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the aesthetic really comes from uh, our designer, Boss, who uh, yeah, we, we had a certain idea of because of the swindle, we wanted to do something with, you know, something with like a robbery mm-hmm. or a thing. or a, And then we came on to Heist, which we thought was such a nice sounding almost old school word just Mm -hmm. like swindle like something that people aren't using that much and we felt like hey this is something this is really cool and what is the most precious thing that you could you could boost and that's a diamond and also because all the records that we release are just such gems (laughs) in a way so uh we felt like, hey, I, well, let's use the diamond. And then our designer turned it into something that's like basically flipped on its side and a way more abstract. Mm-hmm. And that and the, the, well, the fun thing was that when we came with the idea, he was that's like, that's true. Yeah. 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 A, a diamond. Yeah. That's nice. I've just, I've literally just done three projects where they wanted to do something with a diamond. It's, it's done. Like, there's nothing more we can do. I'm going to leave that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take your inspiration and create something completely different. That's what he said when we first like briefed him. And then when he came back, he was like, yeah, you remember when I said that we are yeah, we can't do anything with the diamond? Well, here's your new logo. And he's like, bam, he showed us the thing. And we're like, man, <laughs> this is so good. Like such a smart way to, to do something new with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the way it kind of modulates the because we started with the the basic diamond and then for each release we had a little twist in the design Mm -hmm. so there was all this uh like we even once created this whole scrolling website for heist where we just every time you scrolled the logo would uh modulate Mm -hmm. and it was just it was such a uh hole in one Mm. and the connection we have with him and his artistic view is great and we have loads of discussions because he's 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 horrible when you don't share his opinion. <laughs> Which is also another example of making really great art. Is in yeah. the end, all these discussions they they come they, they, they lead in the to end, something better. They create something better, and also yeah. something that's that's for him is also better to work on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have the the highest main series, and for the roundup, so where 
each artist remixes another artist from that year. We mm-hmm. do sp- special artwork, and I, if I see those those collections, uh, the the collection of of record sleeves that we've done, uh, it has that clean look that we really like. Mm-hmm. But it's in a way, it also really works in your imagination in a way because you know there's there's this whole world a uh, visual world of heist to discover and i think the aesthetic of the label after and we're, we're we're close to our 61st release right now it's mm-hmm. just uh something yeah we've worked hard on we've spent so much time and money on to do it right and it pays off as you say you know the people love the sound people love the look mm-hmm. and it you can just if you see uh if you walk into a record store you can you can like pick out the record you can pick out the label mm-hmm. and in the end I, we both really feel like that uh, adds value to the beautiful music that we get to put out. And it also adds value to people that buy it because they want to put it on display or they're just they're happy with the product. It looks great. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned those Roundup EPs as well. They're always fantastic. Isn't it that you um, take tracks from the previous 12 months and you use artists from within the stable to, and it's by a random poll, is it, that they remix each yeah, So it's, it's it's everyone from that year. So let's yeah. uh, we take uh, 2022 as an example. So we've uh, had Nebraska do a release. We're doing a release. We have Maquez coming up, Krakazat, Byron the Aquarius, Cynthia, uh, Orlando Vorn. Mm-hmm. So if an artist... We throw them in a bag and then we see who gets so uh, we remix Orlando Vorn, for instance, and then we decide with him together who uh, which track to take. And, you know, that collection forms the roundup. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a great way of doing yeah. it. Are there, are there any other anyone's a bit dis- uh, annoyed with what they what they get given or is it always like, oh, actually, it's better that I've been given something and now I've got to work with. No, it, think? I think no. everyone loves the concept. Mm-hmm. And yeah. since it has this legacy. Like they and the label has this legacy. Like any younger artist will never say that they're just happy. <laughs> <laughs> and and but even like we had Scan Seven like two years back, you know the old school Detroit guys, mm-hmm. and they were like they were cool with anything. They were like, yeah, this is just a nice project to be on. And uh, I think they remixed Alma Negra or something. Uh, so not at all related mm-hmm. and it turned out great and so how do you how do you discover new talent but for the label and how do you decide what gets put out well that's there's no one way about it i would say but um with all respect to everyone that sends us demos we get so many demos mm-hmm. from from unknown or starting producers that we hardly have the time to listen to to be honest we try to um, but most of our most of our talent comes from our network, basically, and through other artists that are like, hey, you should listen to these guys or from us that we are listening to or buying tracks from these beginning artists that were like, hey, these are really good. Let's let's send them a little little message to see uh, if they're up for doing something on Heist or so. Yeah, there's not not one way about it, but it's mostly like direct connections, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's people that we have an ongoing conversation with who have a super busy busy release schedule and you kind of talk about the idea and then they're they're either into it or not and then when they're into it but it doesn't fit the planning i just kind of check in every now and then and sometimes we see each other on like shared bookings and we talk about it sometimes we make jokes about this is what taking way too long give me give me music now and that kind of all <laughs> depends on the on the person so we have uh and I mean, we plan super far ahead so we we're never in 
in like in a rush with with people we just want people to feel comfortable mm -hmm. they know know the uh, the attention we spend to their music so it's you know it gets a good home mm -hmm. and for some people it's it's really and that's super that's a that's a major compliment it's really a dream to release on heist like for instance Felipe Gordon he was like so he's like he's becoming Colombia's house music icon mm -hmm. but it's a super small scene and traveling for him is difficult he is super productive and has done a lot of work on a lot of uh, great labels but his he was like yeah i just i want to be on heist so badly and i think we we really took the time it took us like two and a half years to to get the right tracks together mm -hmm. and to get the feel right and but it was fine for him because he knew that we were giving it the attention it needed and we were like super uh, we were in a really great conversation on what the music should sound like or how we should tweak the the demos and in the end that's the only way you can like turn it into a, something great and something that you're all proud of and um i think the only like blunt demo that we've ever uh or artists like it's completely unknown artist that we've ever released from that gave us demos are marquez mm -hmm. two young dutch guys who you know, had their first clubbing experience on uh, uh, the sneaking into a club in Amsterdam when they were 16 and like handing over their USB to us. <laughs> and, you know, we did their, we did their album last year. We're going to do a follow-up EP. They are so talented. It's always this, the, the, the trade-off between if you have these super popular names and they, you know, they're going to do well. So it's good for your labels, good for them. And then you have these niche acts who, whose music you love and who you know, like people won't e even be able to pronounce their name, so they're they're doomed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then we and then we we just try to make it work anyway because mm -hmm. we believe in the music and we believe in their energy, and um, uh, that's also uh, what Heist is for. It's uh, like it's a platform for people to, you know, it's a springboard. Yeah, because yeah. they we, they get to use our popularity and the popularity of the label to grow their own profile and we work really hard to help them with that yeah totally and you know so how would you how would you describe the sound of the label if you had to in a few words what would you what would you sum it up as yeah <laughs> we, we recently said that right i don't remember what it was yeah uh, warm warm house we, warm we house yeah deciding on but i house, we kind of hate yeah this denominator yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's something you need for like for shops mm-hmm but it's not something a producer needs when he's make he or she's making music. I guess warm house with a lot of old school influences, sample heavy every now and then does like fit the profile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. I concur. Cool. So it's good you both concur. Um, so we're talking now. Uh, we've been talking about tracks in the label. Now it's we're going to move on to your choices for the playlist for. The House Culture Perfect Playlist, which you can find on Spotify. Um, every single one of our guests have submitted tracks to this playlist. Um, so there are five different themes. Um, you know, the playlist is is huge. It's over 24 hours long um, because everyone submitted their five tracks. So it is full of left field choices, current bangers, old classics. You know, it's it's got everything in there. Um, and... I, you guys have given me your choices up front, which is great. If I take you through the themes of each one that we've got, 
Um, can you remember which ones you submitted or do you want me to remind you? No, no, we have, no, we, we, we remember. Yeah. Cool, yeah. great. Okay, so we always start off with a catalyst, a track that first got you into house music, dance music, electronic music, whatever you want to call it. What have you chosen and why have you chosen that track? Well, the the catalyst track is Paperclip People, Throw. Mm-hmm. For me, specifically very important track because uh, as you remember earlier, I told you that I, I went into hard house and then I went into soul and funk a little bit and then back to house. And the back to house bit really came through this track specifically. Mm-hmm. I was working together with a friend of mine who makes music under the moniker Mark August. Uh, and he's uh, he lives in Berlin now, and he really reintroduced me to electronic music through this album, basically this or this this period of Carl Craig making music under Paperclip People, and mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but it just this track just grabbed me straight away, and the 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 the, the, the way that the the, the swing and the, and the sort of the also also the bluntness of it almost. Mm-hmm. And that that fueled that fueled the fire, mm-hmm. and I I I literally started making sort of mimicking this track in reason I was still using back then I think, and trying to make specific sounding tracks just like this, mm-hmm. and then from there I just went into that corner of house music and really listened to all these uh more detroit uh and then through detroit sound more chicago new york style house and really explored that corner of house music and that 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 started really the 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 road to what became the first damn swindle demos that marta listened to mm-hmm. so that's a true catalyst, really. <laughs> it's a great choice. Um, and so we move on to a floor filler. Um, you know, what is a go-to floor filler or a current floor filler? You know, what have you chosen there? So we started, when we when we were talking about this this selection of five tracks, we, we had a bit of a discussion on what a floor filler is, mm-hmm. because I think that it actually, well, there's different interpretations. Like, mm-hmm. is, it, is it the track where people go wild on for the first time? or is, Or is it actually the track that gets people toward the dance floor mm-hmm. so it could be anything but we i think the track we selected for this is heat by rapson mm-hmm. and i think this track could have easily been on heist uh, because it has all the aspects that we love about house music warmth soulfulness nice electronic chords mm-hmm. but also a great vocal and what i really love about the uh the track and why i think it works so well when you play it is that kind of speed it gets once the vocal kicks in Mm -hmm. and because the percussion is super basic and it's very minimalistically produced which is so such a talent i think and when you it's 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 one of those tracks that when you're ordering a drink at the bar it just makes you turn your head like what what are what's what's on Mm -hmm. what what's the dj playing i like this (laughs) like and and it's also a track that that works for any sex Mm -hmm. so it's like the guys can get into like the the heavy bass stuff because it's super well produced and it has that that sub going on but then the vocal is super sexy and uh like the chords are warm so there's, there's a little bit in there for everyone mm-hmm. and what we what we've noticed is that you can pretty much play it at any time like on peak time when you kind of want to wind it down and and like get dirty or when you want to like get the party started and really get the energy going mm-hmm. so it's an amazing track 
that it really is. Yeah, it's a great definition as well of those tracks that you hear when you are at the bar or you've got your drink in your hand and you're on the side of the dance floor and you hear it and you're like, I'm, this is the one that's going to make yeah. me move. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's a great tune. Excellent, excellent. Okay, um, a sunsetter, what would you pick to soundtrack The Perfect Sunset? Um, well, that's... Uh because of an, a really nice experience actually it's uh the white lamp mm-hmm. it's you the ron bass jam remix and actually our experience is not necessarily a sunset but more a sun coming i wouldn't say rise no not sunrise because it wasn't the sunrise yeah. because it was during the day but i remember we were playing uh in germany mm-hmm. an outside festival and it was during our set it started pouring down honestly And there were, I think, a thousand people standing in the sun outside and they were just hammered with rain. Mm -hmm. And we had to put like a tarp over our DJ booth not to get all this stuff wet. And we kept playing under tarp and people were still dancing. And it was a bit awkward because it was literally like the the sky cracked open and just dumped water on us. Mm -hmm. And then at one point the clouds literally broke open the sun came out and i was already sort of seeing the moment coming so i put this track on and then at the moment that he starts singing about sun sun comes shining mm-hmm. and then at that moment i kid you not the sun started shining and i got goosebumps <laughs> all over everybody went like oh my god like what the hell and everybody was just standing there dancing like crazy that is brilliant and i was just you couldn't have scripted it better but obviously this this track also really works well for sunrise because it has such a emotional like now we're now we're now you and me like us and the djs and the crowd we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere together you know Mm mm-hmm so that's why we chose this track yeah what an experience um yeah crazy goosebumps really goosebumps. <laughs> absolutely it's giving me goosebumps just hearing about yeah. it i love that yeah. Yeah. um okay so a tearjerker this is oh i love this track so much um yeah, why have yeah. you chosen this so we've chosen uh, could heaven ever be like this by idris muhammad mm-hmm. it's one of those tracks uh, i talked about earlier that you you don't want to play it too often because it you don't want like the magic to the track to lose its magic mm-hmm. because it really apart from the fact that we've played it on a magical moment uh on a, a set in um at wilderberg an amazing festival in the netherlands a few years back it's a beautiful song like the the strings the vocals the transitions the fact it's like this soul disco opera that mm-hmm. takes you through all these different emotions and types of energies and when like the the full eight and a half minutes or whatever however long it is it's over you just left there and you feel like you've experienced an entire lifetime of emotions through that one song mm-hmm. and it's a beauty and i know that it's one of lars's favorite songs and i was record shopping at one point and i found the original uh in a bin somewhere um or in one of the like the, the old disco uh, the records so i picked it up and wanted to give it uh i wanted to give it to him as a gift mm-hmm. uh but i didn't yet and then we were playing bilderberg the festival and we played a set from 6 a.m in the morning till uh midday mm-hmm. and that was the only stage that was open by that time so we had like the people that were you know, coming in from the other stages so but there was also a lot of people that 
uh, had just put their alarm. They went to bed early, put their alarm for the 6 a.m. set and came there. Mm -hmm. And we had, I think, up to this moment, is still one of our most amazing DJ experiences where there was such an intimate connection with the crowd. Mm. And as one of the last songs, or maybe even the last song, I said, hey, I told Lars, hey, uh, I have a gift for you. I'm going to play it now. Mm -hmm. So I put on the record and the, like the sun was, it was midsummer uh, and the, the, the sun was up and people were like, uh, their clothes off and there's all these colorful people everywhere. And then I played the, the first few beats and it, Lars, I think Lars was close to, to crying out of sheer emotion. Mm -hmm. Instead, he like got up to the DJ booth, started dancing on the booth got pulled into the crowd by a lot of our friends who were there and we just danced throughout the full song and it was beautiful mm. yeah wow seriously yeah you can't beat that no, no it was really special <laughs> really special really special okay um a last tune is the end of the night the crowd are asking for one more what do you play yeah this is also a staple in our in our sets it's uh, Saron hooked on you, uh, but Con, King of Nothing, he made a nighttime edit, he calls it. And it's this slow sort of, it takes quite a while before it gets up yeah. to speed. And people it are like, super it's super long. And people are like, in the end, they're like super hyped up and then you're playing this down tempo track and they're like, look looking at each other looking at us like hmm, is this really the last track that you're going to play mm -hmm. and then it slowly evolves and then the the hook keeps repeating itself and at one point i will promise you everybody will will start dancing ecstatically and i remember the i think the one time i remember specifically was in rotterdam and at bird that we played it and everybody was just jamming onto it it's like they didn't want to that, that the track would end and it's it's one of those tracks that really signature for Con as well. Like the way he programs the drums and repurposes the original stems. Mm -hmm. It's just that's it's master that's, of this craft, man. Yeah. Yeah, master, master, master oh, of this craft. Yeah. And this this one specifically, because it's a more down tempo one, it really fits what he does and what he does well and also really fits a sort of it's funny because you always have the the idea i shouldn't i should play this banging track as the last track that's that's my that's my feeling always but mm -hmm. this one is sort of counter mm -hmm. counters that mm -hmm. but does exactly the same thing maybe even better yeah i think you've always for me on the dance floor you've always got to trust a dj when it's their last tune and it's not a banging one and you're like okay this is going to be interesting and this is yeah. going to be something that I should take note of because like you say, it is easy just to be like, I'm just going to put something on. It's just going to smash the place apart. But yeah, to, to, to make that decision and take that choice, you're obviously going to do something special. Yeah, this, this track really makes people hug each other and just share the love on the dance floor in a really intimate and warm way. Amazing choices for the playlist. Um, I know that the Con King of Nothing um, one is not available on, on, oh, that's Spotify, not on Spotify. But don't oh. don't worry. So what I'll do is, you know, people listening right now, they should just go out and seek that out because you know it is yeah. incredible. And like you say, Con, master of his craft. So many of his edits, always that gold standard. You know, there's going to be something good in those. Um, the final question we always have for our guests is that we are obviously house culture. 
And you guys are part of the fabric of the scene, you know, as a DJ duo, producers, remixers, label bosses. Um, you've added so much. Um, what does the the scene as a whole kind of mean to you? And what does what does the culture of it bring to you in your life? How does that enrich that? Well, for me personally, specifically during Corona, I, I really fell back in love with nightlife. I feel that it's such a, an integral part of the arts, basically. And, and, and I think house music is also one of the foundations of that. And I think what's happening now in the scene is maybe it's also commercializing a lot, but I don't necessarily see that as a, as a bad thing because, you know, um, way more people are introduced to electronic music which is a good thing. And also I'm seeing with my students is that genres are not so important anymore in general. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, everything flows into something else and it, it turns out into something else. Like I have students that are making pop songs with house beats and, 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 and house tracks with drum and bass influences and whatnot. Like everything flows into each other. And I think what we're doing, like we're a bit more in from the classical approach, like we really like our classic house and that's just what we like. And that's just what we want to hear. And to be fair, it's a bit hard to find really good classic house at the moment, or in, at least a house made within our taste. It's there, but it's not very, what Marta said, that uh, it's, the sound has changed a bit, but I think... Mm -hmm. It's always there. I always say to people, like, even though our sound is, when we started, it was very popular and it gained a lot of popularity. And then it sort of died down again. And then it came up again a little bit. And now it, it, it disco was a big thing for a couple of years. And now disco is a little bit on the down. And now tech house comes up. And then, but house is always, always at the back. It's always, mm -hmm. it's, it's universally there it's basically the the backbone of any electronic music sound i think it, it will always be there so it will always be there hopefully cool and martin what have you got to add to that um i don't have the like the where lars fell in back in love with house music again and i mm -hmm. i think i didn't really fall out of love with house music Corona for me was a time where I started exploring actually my roots again a bit more with electro and techno and finding the diversity in music also through my children because they they listen to a lot of different stuff I have to put through a, a lot these days <laughs> get to listen to, I know the feeling. Yeah, to listen to Justin Bieber but to be honest I I've started to appreciate this diversity as well like I and I think this is also partly what Lars said taste is something so personal and when and your entrance into a specific genre could come from so many different things I mean our stories are different as well like Lars came from hard house I came from electro and techno and I came from punk and we're making soulful house music together it couldn't couldn't be more apart and yeah. so when when you see people get introduced to house music because they listened to Justin Bieber who did a remix with whoever I love that I really like I I couldn't uh, emphasize it more to my kids like I I let them listen to everything and then they like hey I love this I was playing this uh one of our demos on a festival for a 
accidentally for like five or six thousand people because I was in the largest tent and it started pouring on the festival. So th there was there were quite some people in already, to be fair. But then it filled up because people had nowhere else to go. And then I played one of our upcoming tracks for uh, the next uh, Dam Swindle EP. And I, mm -hmm. my daughter was watching the Instagram clip and she was like, hey, you played this track before to me. I really like this. And she's like, she's the one who's like, I want to listen to Dua Lipa and I want to listen to Justin Bieber and whatever. So the fact that she, on her age, almost 10, like has that little influence of house music already, like woven into the commercial stuff that she likes, it gives me a great feeling about how the genre will evolve and how people will get introduced to it. Because Corona has been a weird time. People didn't have the curators, the DJs, the people that, that show the, these niche uh genres like i mean house still is a bit of a niche genre in the in the larger scheme of things so suddenly they either get like super popular hard techno or they get into pop and now they need like to be molded the, like to be introduced to genres like house to to discover acts like them swindle acts like do we have on our label and that's also good you know it's fine that they that there's this diversity so I embrace that. I embrace the changes that we go through and we, you know, we pick the, pick the bits and pieces that we like and we, our sound evolves as well. And in the end, that's, that's a beautiful path we're on. That's a brilliant final thought. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. That's incredible. All right, man. Thank you so much. House culture. How much fun was that? I love those guys. A couple of really nice fellas who are brilliant at what they do and crucially don't take themselves too seriously. I loved hearing that hilarious story about their Space Echo pedal. So you should definitely be on the lookout for that at any of their future gigs. Now you heard the boys mention the third instalment in their essential Keep On Swindling series of EPs. And whilst you can pick up the first single called You out now... The whole thing will be released on the 2nd of December 2022. Do not miss out. Speaking of tracks, you can find our House Culture Perfect playlist on Spotify. This is the epic collection that features Dam Swindle's thematic choices alongside selections from all of our previous podcast interviewees. And yes, if you're wondering, I have put the full 14 and a half minute version of Throw by Paperclip People, aka Carl Craig, into that list. What a journey it is. However, you'll have to seek out the con nighttime edit of Sarone hooked on you on YouTube as it's not available on Spotify. So to make up for that shortfall in the list, you heard them talk all about it in the interview. I've added in their own remix of First Choice's classic disco number, Let No Man Put Asunder. Once you've followed that playlist and you've got it blasting out of your speakers, make sure you help support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing or even reviewing we love to get your thoughts here at HCHQ. We will even give you a shout out if you have some nice things to say. This time I'd like to say a big hello to Gordon Everett, who goes by the name of Ultra Disco on Instagram. He told us how he really enjoyed our last episode with Dave Ralph. Well, thank you, Gordon. And I hope you've now started to work your way through the rest of our back catalogue of episodes. If you, dear listener, would like to see more of what we do, make sure you follow us on Instagram at HouseCultureNet or by following that hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Or if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can do that on Instagram at DJMattRouse. Thanks for listening. 
rave safe, and see you next time. House Culture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.